This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. I always tell people, like, don't look at what's on the air to figure out what you want to do. Like, do the thing that's missing, because that's what people are clamoring for. They may not know they're clamoring for it. I'm your host, Casey Finey, and this is Creative Conversation, a Fast Company podcast. Tracy Oliver has made it a point in her career as a film and TV producer and writer to center her work around Black women, but most importantly, Black women who are allowed to be more than just savior figures or martyrs of Black trauma. From her box office hit Girls Trip to her latest show, Harlem, Tracy creates worlds where Black women can be ridiculous, gross, lighthearted. They can just be human. In our conversation, Tracy explains the importance of basing your work around what you want to see in the world and how to ask for what you're worth. All right, well, hello, Tracy Oliver. Hi, nice to meet you. Likewise, I'm very, very excited to talk to you. And as always, I love to start at the beginning with my guests. So when did you know that you had a talent for this? When did film and TV really click for you? That is a good one. Starting off with a bang. <laughs> I know. There, I have like two or three answers for this, but... Give me two or three answers then. Really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Because I have just moments in my life. I would say when I was at Stanford in undergrad, I used to do a lot of musical theater, like acting. And I was really frustrated because I would always get cast as like some version of Rizzo in Greece, just like the... like cool like sidekick yeah and not I a find, bad character not but here's the thing don't knock Rizzo's the coolest I'm just saying but I was like I'm always like doing the same type of thing and I was just complaining to my mom about it and my mom is not nice um and you can you can print that because she knows and <laughs> she was like well you're at college like why are you like stop bitching to me about like you know, the parts you're not getting, can't you just write something? And I was like, I guess. So then I just enrolled in this um, playwriting class, and it was called Actors Who Write, Writers Who Act. So it was like performer writers. And in that class, I wrote something that the professor wanted to commission. And that was the first moment Mm. that I thought to myself, oh, I'm not terrible at this. (laughs) So that's, that's the first thing. And then I would say the second moment was um, Issa Rae, who I met at Stanford, and and we had um, drama classes together and performed together. So we were friends and also just comrades in this crazy drama department. We were the only two Black people who went to Stanford for theater. Why would you ever do that? Not surprised. I mean, (laughs) that doesn't shock me at all. Makes zero sense. Um, Stanford's not known for for actors, but but for whatever whatever reason, we were like, yeah, let's go to this, like, smart school and act. And anyway, so I met her during those days, and after we finished Stanford, um, she had this idea for Awkward Black Girl, like a web series. And at the time, it was a couple of web series on the air, but not many. And so we kind of, like, decided to just put it out there and see what happens. And um, I had just finished film school, and she had just come back from New York. And I was 
utilizing my film school equipment and just like classmates to like figure out how to borrow and shoot the show for free and save money. And I was doing all kinds of hustling as a producer. And that's what she knew about me. I'm a hustler. So she was like, you'll, you'll figure out how to get this thing made and done. And I did. And we were, and that was my first time kind of show running and producing. And when that went viral and did really well, that was probably a second moment where I would say, I'm not bad at this. <laughs> so that would be time number two. And the third one is probably the obvious, but when Girls Trip um, came out I mean. and made like $150 million, I was like, all right, I'm not bad. Like, <laughs> there's just like different moments in my life that have been reassuring and keeping me, you know, pushing along this path because entertainment is so heartbreaking and anxiety inducing and you never know like when it's gonna all implode and be done mm. and i love that you brought up awkward black girl because you know of course you were a producer and actor on that web series which of course led to insecure and i know shows like awkward black girl have been huge in giving creators who are overlooked kind of like a path forward to bigger projects and there are a ton of creators who are now trying to do what you and Issa did knowing that it's possible to have the success that you two have attained so when you think back and look at where you are now i mean what were those stepping stones that got you here um i think for us it was being kind of like pioneers and i know that sounds like so ridiculous to say that but like we didn't no, no, really no 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 not ridiculous <laughs> <Okay>. at all <laughs> the reason i'm saying that is we didn't have any models like we were like hence pioneer yeah <laughs> yes <laughs> we didn't have anybody to like watch and go to and ask questions so we just were kind of publicly figuring it out and making missteps along the way and some you know um not missteps but we were just kind of like figuring it out and i think the newer group of people have the luxury of a template. Like, they can look at what we did. They can look at what other people have done and really study it. And, like, I think the steps, the accidental steps that we took, because we didn't know what we were doing, but the, the accidental steps that we took were making content that was specifically for an underserved audience. So that was really important. So I, I would, I always tell people, like, don't look at what's on the air to figure out what you want to do. Like, do the thing that's missing because that's what people are clamoring for. They may not know they're clamoring for it. Um, with Awkward Black Girl, like, no one knew they needed it. But the audience let people know um, in Hollywood that there was um, interest in something like that. And the next step I would also say is just, like, branding and being willing to, like, work for free and to... Mm get out there because sometimes you have to just do it for the love. You have to do yeah. it before someone is validating it, before someone's writing a check. And I cannot tell you how broke we were then. And there were so many moments for both of us where her parents and my, and both of our dads are doctors. And so <laughs> that was a commonality between us where not only were we the disappointing black kids from Stanford that didn't do <laughs> medicine or law, but you're doing a web series and you're mm. broke. Like, what are you, do you have a degree, what are you doing? So at that point, you kind of have to like, just believe in yourself and know that you're working towards something, but it's hard when you're not making money. But I always tell people because a lot of people are so focused on money first. And I'm like, yeah, that'll come. 
but just like pay your dues and and work hard and believe in it. And then eventually somebody might write a check. So much of your work, a lot of your work, I would say all of your work really centers the Black experience. And so I'm curious, I mean, how would you describe your take on the Black experience? What's your way into it? Because obviously, you know, there's there's many different ways to be Black. There's many, there's many facets of us. So what nuances are you looking to unpack in your work? For sure. I always was not as interested, even when I was a kid, in like a lot of Black pain, Black struggle stories. I think they're important. I do. Like, I, I think Roots is important. Do I only want to watch that? No. I've always just really wanted to do content that was feel good and was fun. And you can join with your group of friends and, and watch it. Like, the best thing that I saw when I, because I would sneak into screenings of Girls Trip um, opening weekend just because I was like, this is so cool. And <laughs> I just saw so many, like, friends sitting together with their wine. And I was like, this is what I wanted. Like, I, that's what drives me at the end of the day is, like, I just want people to, like, feel good and Black women to feel beautiful and feel seen. So that helps, too. I don't think people realize, like, the impact um, that it has on, on women of color to, like, see themselves but and see themselves in an aspirational light. Um, like, just winning and thriving and succeeding. And you can mess up and make mistakes. I'm not saying we can't have messy characters. But I just wanted to lean into, like, aspiration and joy. And, and so that's, I think, if there's, like, a through line with everything that I do, there will always be, like, a comedic element. I love a joke and I love ma- making people laugh. But I also love heart. And the story is being rooted in something meaningful and heartfelt. Um, and so if people can laugh and cry, that's a good goal for me. We're going to take a quick break. And when we're back, Tracy dives into her new show, Harlem. This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. You know, with like First Wife's Club, that was obviously an adaptation. You've done uh, other adaptations. You've co-written a lot of movies. But correct me if I'm wrong, like Harlem is like, is this like your first big project where it's like squarely you? Like executive producing, writing, creating everything. Like this is all on you. So knowing that, where did you begin with the show? Like what was sort of your conceit for Harlem? Yeah, so I weirdly wrote Harlem on spec, um, which means for free. I wrote that like before Girls Trip came out. Mm. Um, And at the time, Girls was on the air and, like, Broad City and stuff. And I just kept seeing, like, friendship shows, but not with, like, women of color. And then also, as far as New York, I was like, oh, we're consistently gentrified out of (laughs) New York shows. We're just not in them. Right. And I actually have a lot of respect for both of those shows and, um, you know, really enjoyed them. But I also felt like there was room in the marketplace to show, like, black and brown people, like, having fun in New York. And when I wrote it at the time, there was not a clear marketplace for it. There was nowhere to take it. And I think people were kind of afraid of, like, if it would succeed. Is there a market for this? Is this mm-hmm. super niche? Because whenever you pitch um, stuff starring women of color, people automatically think, oh, there's a small audience for this. This is niche. 
And I was like, but I don't really write niche stuff. Like, in my mind, I was like, I feel like it's a bigger idea than that, but okay. And so I just sat on it. And then Girls Trip came out and did well. And then all of a sudden, it wasn't niche. Mm -hmm. It was like, okay, well, $150 million worth says it's not niche. And Isn't that wild? Like, they just yes. discovered black people exist. Like, it's like, <laughs> That's been the story of my life. Because even with Awkward Black Girl, like, East and I were taking meetings around town before we decided to, like, continue doing it on the web. And everyone just was like, oh, yeah, there's not an audience. It was just with so much certainty, you know? Like, and I didn't know where they got it from. I guess it had just been so many years between what we were doing and then, like, the 90s, like, black renaissance. So they just were, like, kind of disregarding the 90s stuff as, like, examples. And they're like, yeah, it's just, you know, everything's gotten so complicated now, and I just don't think there's an audience for it. And then all of a sudden, it's on the web, and we're pulling huge numbers on the web. And then people Mm -hmm. were like, hmm, where are those girls again? Like, maybe we should, like, meet up. But (laughs) same thing with Girls Trip. And because of that, Harlem, like, found its way. Like, Mm -hmm. I now could point my own work to open the door for something I had written before. (laughs) Right. I love that. And because Harlem has such a specific look to it, it almost feels like a a throwback in a way. Like, because, like, when you you think about the shows where, you know, you wonder how these characters can afford these, like, lavish, amazing, colorful apartments and whatnot. But I actually appreciate that. It's like, it's so... Because it, they could have gone the other way of like being like hyper realistic and very like kind of like very very grounded, but it's almost like levitated a little bit, a little like heightened. And, and so I, I'm just curious, like, how did you sort of pinpoint the look and feel of this show? Because it, it it is very specific from like I said, the apartments to like the wardrobes, everything. It is it has like a very specific look to it. Well, when I even pitched the show, I came in with the lookbook. And I always make lookbooks or, you know, work with, like, a designer to figure it out. And I save a whole bunch of photos. But I'm very visual. And the Harlem that I saw in my head was beautiful and colorful. That's what I saw. I was like, it's not gritty. It's not sad. I was like, it is just, it's bold and colorful and pretty and aspirational. And Mm -hmm. that was what I was going for. So all of the images that I put together, people were like, just so pretty. And I'm like, yes, that's what I want. I want color. I want beauty. I want just prettiness. And I wanted that because that's just what I like. I like really um, inspiring, hopeful, joyful stuff. And I think people will appreciate that. And I've even already gotten people who've noticed like the posters or noticed the trailer like it's a lot of color and you know Mm -hmm. you're (laughs) and I'm like I'm so glad you guys are noticing but that was a deliberate choice I didn't want it to be in in your words which is really accurate to be hyper like realistic Mm -hmm. I wasn't looking for gritty and yeah and there's there's a lot of shows that do that version of Harlem or do that version of city life and I was like I'm not doing that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, and I appreciate it. And you know, the other the other aspect of it that I found I find interesting is the 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 comedic tone of it because it almost it's almost like screwball in a way. Like the situations <laughs> that these young women find themselves in, it's just like, come on, like, but that in itself is like is a very specific tone. So I mean, is that how you always saw it in your head? This, like I said, almost almost screwball like hyper comedy in a way is that how you always saw it or is that did that kind of evolve as you were writing it 
Um, it kind of evolved, but I'm really silly. I think people don't <laughs> don't know that as much sometimes, but I really like a silly, dumb joke. I do. Um, and every now and then you need those, like, silly, we call them set pieces, but like a silly set piece um, that just elicits, like, a huge guttural laugh. Like, right. I live for that stuff. And, you know, with Girls Trip, like, that to me was, like, the first time that I was allowed to be broad. Mm. And I... This sounds weird, but people associate, I think, broad comedy with white humor. Mm. I don't know that why. Is true. But, like, I got that comment. or They were like, oh, you write black people like white people. And I was like, what does that mean? That's so... I've never thought about that. Yeah. That is... <laughs> <laughs> I know. I didn't think about that either. But I guess I do... I tend to like... Um, and even with Girls Trip, when I was trying to, like describe the tone of it i was like i guess it's kind of like hangover or like bridesmaids i couldn't think of a black thing that was as silly but also like heartfelt at the end and i couldn't i couldn't figure it out and so now i'm seeing people actually pitch with girl strip as a tone like i've heard they'll be like oh it's like girl strip and tone i'm like that's crazy (laughs) because there was no girl strip for me to use i was i was Citing all white movies. The influence you have. (laughs) You are now the standard. (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. But I just, I really, you know, to your point, Harlem has that too. But yeah, I like a a big joke. Even if it feels like out of the world of the show sometimes, Mm -hmm. I still just really like um, broad comedy. But then I also will bring it back down so that we don't live there. Mm-hmm. You know, like in, in Girl Show, we didn't live in the grapefruit moment, but but that exists. <laughs> right. And in Harlem, like, we don't live in these silly moments for too long, but they're there because I just am silly and I like a good laugh. If you lived in the grapefruit moment in Girl Show, it would be a completely <laughs> different movie, yes. i.e. a porno. And right. that's, that is fine and it's right, but, you know, no. like, <laughs> that's not what we're trying to My make. mom would have hated it if we lived in that. <laughs> So, you know, Harlem, there's like a canon of comedy starring, you know, Black women, friends. I mean, living single, girlfriends, 20s, insecure. And so where do you see Harlem's place in that canon? I think it will be separate from those. I I, I like that we have a queer character in the lead, like, in the friend circle. I like that it's New York-based. And really, like, celebrating, like, East Coast girls in a really cool way. And I think, like, the stories, like, will be really unique and different from those. Like, Living Single was, like, you know, so long ago. And I feel like with 20s, you know, I think 20s is great. It captures your 20s. And so mm-hmm. what, I, what I really wanted with this one was to, like, be squarely 30s. I was like, we're not teetering into it. Like, we're firmly in the 30s because that's where I am. And it's also, to me, important to realize that your 30s can be just as not figured out and messy as your 20s. Mm. There was this idea that Insecure explored and Girls explored and 20s explored that your 20s are where you make mistakes. Right. And then suddenly you figure it out and your 30s, like, you're killing it and everything. And I so then I was like, 
oh, well, then what happened with me? <laughs> Same. Yeah, <laughs> when I got in my 30s, I was like, oh, I'm nowhere near, like, what these 90s rom-coms that I was supposed to be doing right now. I'm such a baby still and figuring it out. And then I was like, well, then it was a myth. Your 20s are, they're not going to magically go, like, into perfection in your 30s. Like, you're still figuring it out. So when I wrote Harlem, I was like, so just keep in mind, no shows on the air, no girls trip. And I just had like a dream that this stuff would like be made and be figured out. And, you know, was recently out of a relationship. So it was like a a weirdly dark time where I was Mm. like, I hope all of this works out. And then now looking back and I'm like, oh, well, thank God it did. But there's still like some messy stuff that I'm still experiencing in my 30s and these characters are experiencing in their 30s too. So I I feel like for all of those reasons, it's a totally different show than the other ones. And I hope people, you know, will see it as that. Right. Oh, nice. And you know, in in a show like Harlem, I mean, conceivably any of these, any of these characters could have been sort of the lead in the storyline. And they're all leads in their own right, but it's really anchored, you know, by Megan Good's character, Camille. And so how do you, in a show like this, how do you decide who takes the lead when all four characters have such interesting stories going on? So, like, well, I mean, why why Camille? And in Girl Strip, why, you know, Regina Paul's character? You usually want the kind of straight person to be your way into it. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as I love the character Dina and Tiffany Haddish, She's too crazy to be your <laughs> your way into anything. Those people cannot be. Um, so you kind of need the the anchor, the person that's like the probably the least comedic, um, but <laughs> those people matter. And and you need their like point of view to kind of lead you in. And when I was thinking about like my friend circle and what I hadn't seen, I have a lot of friends that are like PhDs or professors and like just a lot of academics. And I was like not really seeing a lot of like black female professors on the air and so I took this class when I was at Stanford called the anthropology of sex and love and I loved it but we were just talking about like just regular relationship shit but like in a scientific or anthropological like point of view and so it was fascinating to me and so I thought hmm is anthropology a cool way into like diving into characters and diving into relationships. Mm-hmm. And then I just, you know, talked to my friends who are actually academics and was like, what are the challenges on your job? And, you know, and we just tried to make it authentic, you know, to the world. But yeah, I just felt like Camille being an academic is gonna, she's gonna pose questions and think about stuff in a unique way. And that's a cool way into the show. Mm. No, I'm so glad you brought that up because I definitely noticed that. And, you know, a lot of the intros to the episode, there's like her kind of posing the question of like, you know, she's having this lesson and talking about, you know, and we see how it relates to the show. And so going back to the question of tone, I mean, how do you think that works into the tone of the show? Kind of having this, you know, academic person approaching love and relationships from a very academic place. And, you know, in her real life, it's kind of a mess. And so, because right. I, I, I really enjoyed that framework. So, I mean, like, how do you think that adds to the tone of the show, really? I think that it allows us to, in a way, get out of it being too realistic, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Like, it allows us to be able to step outside of the show a little bit and, like, give a thematic 
context or pose a question that people are going to think about. And we don't do it too much because I, did, I didn't want it to be too heavy-handed. Mm-hmm. I wanted it to have a framework, but I also was just kind of like, I don't want that to be the driver of it because then it starts to feel like we're not in real life. But yeah, I think it opens it up a little bit in a way where you can have a little bit of like outside perspective to it. Right. When you think back over your career, what would you say has been your biggest creative challenge? There have been so many. Um, I'll be honest with this answer. (laughs) I love honesty. Okay, good. (laughs) The reason that I wanted to get a deal and like work exclusively for a company after a while was because with black content often, you don't get the same budgets and you don't get like the same like respect or paychecks is like content that's Mm non-black. And so I felt like for the amount of hours that I was putting in, I was working like 24 seven. I was working seven days a week for so long. Like even when I was writing for other people's shows, I was going home at night and writing movies because that was the only time I had. So people who know me know that I've worked insanely hard (laughs) for so long. And so part of my frustration last year, I think is where I was starting to really feel like it. I was like, I need to start making the amount of money that justifies the work. Yes. For the amount of work that I'm doing, I want this amount of money to come in. And that was something that I kind of manifested and I truly wrote this intention down and put it under candles and everything. And then it's, yes. I'm not even kidding. I really <laughs> do this. Oh, no, I believe you. Okay. <laughs> yeah, when I'm serious about, like, I, this is a goal, I put all of my energy into manifesting it. And suddenly, like, calls started to come in. Like, is Tracy looking for a deal? And I was like, that is so crazy that I manifested this in COVID. But to me, that was the the biggest challenge after a while. And I know I said earlier in the conversation that you should do it for the love of it mm-hmm. and not for money. And I still maintain that I needed to have that like mindset in the beginning. Right. But after a while, when you prove yourself and you prove yourself again and prove yourself a third, you, you're like, okay, like at some point the quote has to go up and like, mm-hmm. you know, I shouldn't still be making the same thing that I was making when I was like proving myself in the beginning. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And super quick, because I know we have to wrap up soon, but like, how have you come to define creativity at this point in your career? That's a good, you, you and these questions, you're really I'm good. I'm telling you, I'm tr- I try. I okay. Try. <laughs> I, I see you with the, the deep questions. Um, <laughs> I think at this point for me, creativity has to mean something exciting and new and something that feels necessary and something I want to wake up and do. And that's a high bar, but that's how I kind of measure something. And I am really grateful that I still get giddy when I'm really excited about something. Yeah, I'm like a child, like in the editing bay, when I'm looking at a take that an actor just like nailed. I'm like, you did that. <laughs> and I'm like crying and I'm like, yes, this is amazing. And people will say like, I feel so validated when you like something because you emote, like you come alive. And I, that's how I know 
that I'm on the path of something. Like right. when someone sends me like, you know, a book or just whatever, or I like, I'm looking at something, I'm like, I got it. And that's creativity to me. It's just like, it's excitement. If I'm not excited about it, I don't really want to do it. Because it's Fair hard. Enough. <laughs> it's too no. hard to do it if you don't have the excitement. Exactly. I I love that. So, Tracy, thank you so much for this. This was such a delight. And congratulations on Harlem. And I'm so excited to see all the other projects you have going on because I know you get a lot. So it's so nice. <laughs> it's so nice speaking to someone like you. So thank you again. No, thank you. This was a delightful interview, by the way. Thanks for listening to Creative Conversation. As always, make sure you rate, comment, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. And I'll see you next week.